of all Champions League goalkeepers I've seen, and Carrius included, what about the fella in the goal for Villarreal? Carrius included is the worst thing any Liverpool <laughs> fan can say. That's the harshest. Well, Carrius was hopeless, wasn't he? OTB AM, live, weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. All right, you're welcome along. It's Thursdays off the ball. Nathan with you until 10 o'clock tonight. We've got a packed show after another mad night in the Champions League. So mad, Kenny Cunningham just wouldn't go home. And Manchester City are out of the Champions League. It's going to be Liverpool against Real Madrid in Paris at the end of the month. We're going to be talking about the week that was with John Giles at half past seven. And Jonathan Wilson is going to join us on the football show after nine. We'll be keeping an eye on the Europa League semi-finals. Big night for West Ham. And the Conference League semi-finals, Leicester up against Roma in that. So you won't miss anything from the live football. Uh, what's going on in Cork? Gaelic games, football, hurling, it's not happening in either code at the moment. Uh, we're going to be joined by Sarah Donovan and for Mick Foley to do a bit of a deep dive into that after 8 o'clock. So if you have any thoughts on why they have been starved of success, uh, certainly at All-Ireland level, uh, do get in touch. 53106 is the text number at Off The Ball. And Shane Han will be with us uh, between 8 and 9 as well to talk Formula 1 ahead of this week's Miami Grand Prix. Amory Donlan is in the studio. Evening, Amory. Uh, Joe Malloy should be on the line. Evening, Joe. He is. Hello, you both. Hi, Joe. Late night with Kenny Cunningham, Joe. Doesn't get much better than that. Lucky oh, you. Oh, my God. Yeah, he made it pretty clear early on he was not budging. He's like, <laughs> yeah, we're staying on. It was either, uh, he was uh, either staying on News Talk and bumping off Tom Dunn or staying on the Off The Ball social channels. So we said, okay, we'll hang around. Do you know, it was kind of fun. Initially, I was like, oh, my God, I need to go home. And <laughs> everyone stayed. So we were all crammed into the studio watching the game. And I mean, it was just insane. It's just insane. So uh, it was actually, a, it was a very fun show. And uh, Kenny's running commentary, a lot of fun, a lot of F-bombs, a lot of criticism. See, it's, that's it's that's say, the sort of content people really want. It is. Yeah, yeah. It's fair to say there's a, there's a lot of decisions made in the pitch that Kenny does not agree with. And uh, he lets you know about it. But um, yeah, it was good. I mean... <laughs> Jack Grealish, Jack Grealish, I just watched it back again. Could Jack have done Bad much more? Could Jack have yeah, done much Jack, more? Jack could have done a lot more. Jack could have done a lot Because I, in two respects, so he's unlucky with the two chances which came close. There was the brilliant run and across the goal line and Mendy scoops it clear. And Jack couldn't have done much more there. And then there's a minute later where he, he turns Carval inside out and shoots and the keeper is an amazing Courtois save. You know, in hindsight, out for a corner. So what's your problem? Jack couldn't have done, Jack couldn't have done much more there. Jack, Jack, Jack. This is uh, exemplified in three minutes is why Pep doesn't trust him. And for both goals, for both goals, he really should have stopped the crosses. For both goals. It was really... And you know what, as well, if you, if you watch it back, highlights all over YouTube t- at a glance, a few minutes before that, Asensio runs in behind him when he was so clearly Grealish's man. And all of the City players turn, turn to Grealish on both occasions as if to say... You've got to stop that cross. Jeez, come on. And you know, I, I compare him with Phil Foden, who has been schooled in the Guardiola way. Like, if you can find me a single instance this season, a single one where Foden doesn't sprint to man in possession to press, I'll, uh, I don't know what the forfeit is. We're going to agree on that later. Um, Grealish, on the other hand, just oh, needs I to I think you're a bit harsh on the second goal. No, Whatever about the no, first. No. The second goal, he yeah, didn't yeah, sprint. Okay. He was outnumbered. He needed somebody to come out and step out and help him out. It was an <sighs> unbelievable cross from Carvajal. He hit it early. I think it was. it's very harsh to pin that on Grealish. It's not all on Grealish, but it's partly on Grealish. And the first one, the first one is massively on Grealish. Like, he just has to do it. He's fresh. 
Grealish is fresh here. Like, there's no excuse. And I think they were, they were, these are the margins at the top level. Now, look, this goes beyond Grealish. I don't know why I've started on Grealish, but, but here we are. And then in extra time, I, like, he had the beating of Carvajal. See, I sort of, I, and I'd be curious for your thoughts, by the way, in a sec. I sort of wanted City to go through. I seem to be in a real minority. I, I can't get enough of City against Liverpool, and I wanted that Champions League final as the finale to the year. So I was kind of watching it from their perspective. And Grealish had the beating of Carvajal and just, look, at times the ball wasn't worked out quickly enough to him. Well, he just wasn't taking him on. Like, like, you need a goal here. And you've got space in behind Carvajal. Like, take him on. And I just thought, like, it's, it's such a, it, this could be a real sliding doors moment in Grealish's career, obviously. Like, if those goals had gone in and he's the hero, season is redeemed mm. in so many ways. And, 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 and so, like, these are small margins. You know, Jack Grealish is not going to be turfed out of Man City for this. But it was just one of those... Um, one of those nights for him. Did you, buy, did you, like, I wanted City Liverpool. I can't get enough of City Liverpool. Now, Liverpool, Real Madrid is not an unattractive evening's football. Don't get me wrong. But I kind of, I, I was leaning towards City Liverpool. Uh, I not think many seem to have been. As a classic final, like Liverpool City, like they've always delivered. I, you know, I've heard a lot of analysis of, oh, finals are never great games. Liverpool City is almost always a great game. And in fact, the extra edge and tension, I think, would add to that. I think Liverpool could go and win this quite comfortably against Real Madrid. I think Real Madrid have shown their Careful. weaknesses. And Careful. Well, I just, you look at the way Liverpool are playing right now and there's a lot of games to go between now and then. But Real Madrid have shown unbelievable character, but never looked like scoring until they just scored. Out of nothing. Manchester City were much better than them. Chelsea were better than them. Paris Saint-Germain were better than them. But I think the way and the experience that Liverpool have gained over the past four or five years, I don't think they would let it slip. And if they're still in the same form now as they are at the end of the month when the final takes place, I think Liverpool, this is not to say Real Madrid aren't a great team, but I think the way Liverpool set up that they should go and expect to win this final. I think Liverpool City would have been a better final, all right, yeah, because we know when they play in the Premier League, like they bring it out in each other, the standards are so high and the stakes are so high as well, like it's that really, really tense atmosphere and they keep drawing with each other as well in the Premier League, so if we were to have them in the Champions League final, they obviously, it can't be a draw, so like someone has to win it, so like it would feel like the stakes would be at the ultimate height, so I think it would have been a better final, all right. Liverpool... I think City probably Liverpool fans would prefer to play Real than oh. to play City. Yeah, definitely because City were City better. Probably in the two were games. better in the two Premier League games this season mm. than Liverpool, especially in the second one. Liverpool mm. were lucky to come out of the Etihad with a draw, so I think they will be happier to play Real. Not that it'll be easy, but and I think Liverpool fans as well would prefer to lose to Real than to lose to City in a Champions League final if it was to come down to that. Well, I think the City games also sum up why I think Liverpool will win this final because in both those games, City were better. But Liverpool found a way when it was at half-time, Klopp making changes, even though City were, it felt at the peak of their powers, they somehow found a way back. So I think whatever sort of game Real Madrid can come at them with, that Liverpool have a way now of almost beating pretty much are sticking with any side. But I still can't believe Manchester City didn't win it. I don't understand. No. I it don't wasn't understand on the cards. what happened. They didn't have a shot on target for 90 minutes. Like it was yeah. over. I texted somebody straight after the first goal and they were like, what, what are you talking about? They had left it. Like they had stopped watching. The game was over. Like 
I don't actually understand. But then once it went to extra time, you just felt like Real were definitely going to win it. Well, that's yeah. uh, there's obviously been listen, never-ending amounts of analysis, and we're going to have lots more of it tonight as to what it means for Pep Guardiola and you know mentally, historically, with Manchester City collapsing yet again, and you know Miguel Delaney has the stats of how quickly they concede goals when they concede goals in decisive games under Guardiola in the Champions League in recent years. But they did almost everything right. Like, it was in no way on the cards. But five minutes ago, I'm thinking, God, this is the most uneventful Champions League semi-final has been in a long time. I know. And it then was, it was so almost perfect that the loss last night, even though it was the semi-final compared to last year's final, feels worse for City. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I saw that piece by Miguel. It's absolutely extraordinary the extent to which when City concede one, they concede several in these knockout games. I mean... Kenny Shields would have a field day with <laughs> Manchester City, it struck me. It's really interesting. Like the Guardiola question is really interesting here because you couldn't say, you couldn't put this at his door in the spectacular fashion you could put some of the previous exits at his door. Last year's Champions League final, strange tactical move at odds with what he'd done the rest of the season. Leon before that. And like there's such a pattern here which goes on and on and on. Monaco... Even when Ancelotti's Real Madrid beat Bayern Munich, Pep came out in that book, Pep Confidential, and was bemoaning the fact that literally he had resisted a certain formation all season. And then on that night, couldn't help himself, did it. And he called it like his biggest F up in his career. And that was before the subsequent uh, ones that I've mentioned. So those ones, like it, it's, it's glaring. It's at his door. It's hard to know where this year fits into that. We, like, we don't know what Pep's transmitting to the players in terms of confidence or maybe anxiety. We don't know how his man management is. We don't know what he's saying at halftime. All these intangibles. And like, there's a chance that he was amazing. And this is very much on the players, this one. Mm. And he has to get a bit of a pass. And equally, there's a chance that there's something there. Whatever it is that Carlo's transmitting to those Real Madrid players, maybe Pep's not quite getting over to... Well, is it's it a Man trust? Because that's something I've seen today that the Guardiola, his his level of management means they always look to him rather than themselves on the pitch. So when things need changing, it comes from the sideline rather than from a leadership team on the pitch. And yeah. that when panic set in, and it does seem panic set in because when you watch back the 89 seconds, it almost felt like Manchester City were in the team rushing to kick off again. They give this ball straight back to Real Madrid. Like that is not... A, not what you would expect from a team of that level of experience. But again, like Bayern Munich did the exact same thing, 99. Like this is football through yeah. history. Teams panic, things go wrong. That's just what happens. Does that make Pep Guardiola, like, no. I mean, he's not, he's not I, a bad manager, but like, does that put it all on him? No, I, I think this one, you see, it's difficult to make this argument given his history, but I think this one, you just have to say there's something freakish about Madrid, two free goals, like taking off De Bruyne I'd like to know if he had a knock or like De Bruyne had a bad night and in hindsight it looks iffy taking him off but only slightly iffy like nobody was going oh my god what's he doing and like Mares scored literally 60 seconds later so mm. it's kind of hard to criticise that substitution I feel like you have to give Pep a touch of a pass on this one but but we don't know like this is the thing you can make an argument either way we don't know what he's transmitting behind the scenes is it an anxiety is there something that he's doing or maybe he's doing everything very well and his players let him down. Like it's entirely possible on this occasion, his players let him down and he gave them the perfect plan and, 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 and really 
that's on them as opposed to him and maybe the other ones are more on him and this that's why this one's really hard you, you can't just put this one in a neat box this 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 collapse and like I, I just watched the highlights again there even in minute 89 uh Darren Darren Fletcher on BT isn't it Fletch and Fletch, Fletch. I, I only know him as Fletch <laughs> is it Stephen or Darren Fletch Darren. and uh Darren and Stephen McManaman they're chatting in the 89 minute like uh looking ahead to the final you know it's really striking this is not uh like all hands on deck oh my god there's a goal coming here this is well it's fitting isn't it steve that it's liverpool man city in the final two best teams in europe yeah yeah no it is it's gonna be an amazing occasion so like as you said madrid they're such a funny team they don't they don't play in like consistent periods or patterns they just have these moments and uh, i mean they're look i i agree with you on about Liverpool and on paper and in the final. But I think we have to start giving this Madrid team a bit more respect. They are scary because they need no momentum to mm. score. I'm glad it's around Madrid-Liverpool. If it was two English teams in the final, it'd be like a normal Premier League weekend. It's a Dante and oh, But like, no, when Liverpool and Manchester City play in the Premier League, it's not really a normal Premier League good, weekend. Yeah. It's, it's as good as it gets. Uh, it really wasn't last night's game. It was the first leg. City should have scored seven or eight, but they basically yeah. only end up with a 1-0 win, uh, says yeah. Michael and Kerry. Yeah. Hi, guys. You can have all the master tacticians you like, but the bottom line is Real ambushed them and won, simple as, and you can't say Liverpool win easily because Real have that aura that says, you better have us well beaten or we'll win, says Kieran in Dublin. Now, Liverpool mm. have seen it three times. That doesn't mean Real can't do it, but there should be no switching off from Liverpool, even if they're 2-0 up with five minutes to go. Well, yeah, but no. that aura stuff as well, like I usually think a lot of that is mush, but then last night kind of proved it in a way, like Real, like they have that history, like they're a massive club, like I'm not saying that City aren't a massive club, but they're a massive club in Europe. They've gone out and they've won it so many times before, like it did feel last night, particularly going into extra time when the City players just looked so rattled that it stood to them. We'll talk to Jonathan Wilson about this and I don't know, maybe we need to get a sports psychologist on at some stage because like against that, like what history does Jack Grealish have? Like this is his first season at Manchester City. Is he with two minutes to go, suddenly the weight of all City's failures under Pep Guardiola is on his shoulders and he's thinking about this and he doesn't close down a player at the right time? Like surely that is completely irrelevant from a Manchester City point of view. But again, you're right, it does feel as though it was everything Real Madrid have done came to the fore and everything Manchester City have failed to do came yeah. to the fore. So. Well, if you, if you watch Grealish not tracking Asensio when, and he got right in and he squared, it was a very dangerous moment just before the two crosses. This is nothing to do with pressure. This is just a lack of concentration and a lack of awareness. And, and somebody who probably has been so gifted for so much of his career that he's, he has, he has got, gotten away to this point mm. without having to track those runs. Well, what you're saying is you do that at Aston Villa and nobody notices. Precisely what I'm saying. And, and dying moments at the burnabout, slight a slip. You just don't get away with it. Again, it's a bit more than Grealish. I thought the text about the first leg is absolutely right. Mm. I mean, that yeah. was the miracle match in some respects. I, I, I brought this up when I, when I came back from the game. When I was at the Manchester City-Liverpool game, uh, I watched Grealish warm up. It was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. Uh, Zinchenko, Grealish, Mares were all substitutes. And I stood on the side of the pitch before the game was starting, watching the warm-up for 20 minutes. And they're pinging volleys from the halfway line to the end line, just to treat them around the triangle. It was ridiculous. But mm. Grealish was the only one who dropped the ball and just seemed that little bit more relaxed. And I've read way too much into it 
because maybe that's exactly what Pep Guardiola wants from his substitutes before a game, actually be relaxed. But it just felt that Zinchenko and Mahrez were totally switched on, but that Grealish was that little bit more casual than everybody else. And again, maybe that's not been around Manchester City for long enough, knowing that actually you've got to be always on. At a club that size, you've got to be always on. I do. And, and, and I still think there's every chance Grealish will be a huge success there under Guardiola over the coming two years. Like Raheem Sterling went into overdrive when Guardiola really got to work with them. So that's very possible. I mean, and, and to be fair, like honourable mention for Diaz and that penalty, which is inexplicable. Mm. Like when, you know, Kenny, that was where Kenny was just in disbelief, for instance, last night. Like, as he said, and he said it on air subsequently, You've got, as a defender, to realize Benzema's first touch is away from goal there. There's just no need to dive in at that point. And, and, and maybe that's anxiety, who know, lack of composure, who knows what that is. But again, you'd find that hard to put on Pep. That you, you just can't. That, like, at a certain point, a player has to make a good decision there. And, and to, you know, they're back in the league for the last couple yeah, of years. I know. And, and do you know, though, the, like we see this in various sports, there is something in the fact that Man City and, and those defenders don't play under that kind of pressure all that often. There is something in that, like it's, it's akin, you know, we talked about it when it came to Leinster in the Heineken Champions Cup. Everything's going smoothly, then suddenly you're up against a certain calibre and things start going wrong, you're under pressure. How are you then? How are your, decision made? How are you, how are your decisions then and your choices then? Like how often is Diaz under that kind of pressure, that intensity across the Premier League season, mm. you know? So all of these things come together, like bloody, the, the foot, I gotta say, I'm enjoying football right now. It's just amazing. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a cracking weekend. Liverpool, Spurs, City, Newcastle, a point between them. we got a top four scrap. we got a relegation scrap. And that uh, post-match with Kenny Cunningham, by the way, you can get all that podcast, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, it's definitely well worth watching back. The news round brought to you with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. How will West Ham cope with the weight of history tonight, Anne-Marie? Yeah, it could be a massive night for them, Nathan, as they look to reach their first European final since 1976. They'll have to overcome a 2-1 deficit to do so. So they take on Eintracht Frankfurt in the second leg of their Europa League semi-final. Kickoff is at eight o'clock. At the same time, Rangers host RB Leipzig and the hosts are one nil down from the first leg. It's also semi-finals night in the Conference League. Leicester City are away to Jose Mourinho's Roma. That tie is nicely poised at one all and Feyenoord bring a 3-2 lead to Marseille. Those games kick off at eight as well. So some really big news for football in Dublin. The Save Talca Park campaign has been really gathering a lot of momentum over the last few months and it looks as though the Shelburne supporters have had their wish granted. Yeah, they got a huge boost today as Dublin City Council Chief Executive Owen Keegan recommended abandoning plans to rezone Talca Park for residential use. The recommendation means that Shelburne looks set to remain at the North Dublin ground. In his new city development plan draft document, Keegan also proposes adding Talca Park and the home of St. Patrick's Athletic Richmond Park to the Daily Mount Park project, so that would mean all three be redeveloped. The plan has to be debated though before any decision is made in October. I say this is good news Joe it'll be good news if all of this comes to fruition because Mm. I suspect supporters of all three clubs are wary of false dawns and promises of investment Shelburne have got some private investment which is why this momentum has been built to be able to uh, go and redevelop Talca Park but you want a situation where Talca Park's development has no impact on Dalyman Park's redevelopment yeah. and that Richmond Park gets there as well because 
I think, and I know from going to Tala every couple of weeks that, you know, a good stadium, a quality stadium brings the crowds and the three of them are big enough. Like, we hear all the time that shit else is sold out, that Daily Mount is sold out, but it turns out, you know, half the ground is shut down. <laughs> so yeah. they need to get past that and be able to capitalise on the interest that's there. Yeah. Look, I, I do appreciate, like, we could be accused of some kind of nimbyism as sports fans, given there is a housing crisis with emphasis on the word crisis. But this is very, very welcome because once that land goes, it's gone and that's a stadium gone and all the history is gone and it's gone forever. And as you said, Dublin City Council owned Talca. Part of the thinking was to sell it to help the redevelopment of Daly Mount, also community owned. And uh, thankfully, that's been averted. Like now is not the time for Irish football to... Uh, start cutting statement, uh, stadiums. Like now is the time to really expand. We're seeing an increase in interest levels. We're seeing an increase in attendance. Brexit is going to radically transform the talent coming through Irish football academies. Like this is such an opportunity, the next decade for, for massive investment from the government. And, on, you know, Dublin City Council have a responsibility here. This is the most popular sport in the country alongside GAA. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and you think, you know, over on the south side, there is Donnybrook and RDS within, you know, two miles of each other. And, and this is a city council, I remind you, that did ask the Irish taxpayer for 20 million euro to build a whitewater rafting thingy, which you got, I don't know what you call it, uh, attraction, whatever the hell you want. You know, like it's time, it, 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 it is just time we got serious about soccer, football in this country. And, and like, for such a popular sport, like we spent the first 15 minutes talking about this game. Everybody loves the Irish national team. The women's team are on the up. Like, when are we going to start investing in it? Why, why is the most popular sport are pretty much joined with you? I don't know how you want to decide these things, but you take my point. Why is it like the poor relation of every other sport when it comes to facilities? Like Damien Duff coming back saying, facilities I left as a 12-year-old, they're exactly the same. You know, and, and so if Tolka had gone, it would have been really, really awful and a real retrograde step. So I'm, look, I'm delighted it's happened. Like, let's just do up all these stadiums. Well, that's it. You know, there's got to be a way to do it up privately and with, with public money. Like, it's a no-brainer. And, and so, you know, I think the Save Talca Park campaign deserves um, serious kudos because it did, you know, it, it got something going. It put it in the public consciousness. probably put a bit of pressure on the council. Yeah. And listen, I'm not going to play devil's advocate because I think everything you say is 100% correct. I suspect GEA and rugby, as we well know, had themselves organised while Irish football at the very top's interests were in a very different place than improving yeah. grounds and forcing the government's hands to fund League of Ireland stadiums. Uh, no, you're right. it's, 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 it's been, it's, sorry, excuse me, sorry, apologies. It's been self-inflicted as well. There's, mm. That is an aspect of this story for sure. Uh, Nathan Collins nominated for Premier League Player of the Month. Yeah, Republic of Ireland international Nathan Collins nominated for the Premier League's Player of the Month award for April. The 21-year-old Burnley defender made six league starts for the Clarets during that period, scoring goals in wins over Everton and Southampton. Collins was handed his first senior international start back in March. That was against Lithuania at the Aviva Stadium, where he was named Man of the Match. The league slip native is nominated alongside Kevin De Bruyne, Cristiano Ronaldo and Thiago. I'm never that excited to see another Nathan become successful. Mm-hmm. Like first Nathan Carter, now Nathan Collins. It's disastrous. Oof. I mean, that's a that's a that's a trio for dinner, isn't it? Well, I'll tell you what. That's that's a dinner party right there. Anytime, <laughs> Joe, you organize it. <laughs> uh, what would you call it? 
Well, you, you, you think about that while we hear about Rory McIlroy. Sorry, yeah, Rory McIlroy in a tie now for eighth on the opening day of the Wells Fargo Championship. He shot seven birdies, two bogeys and a double bogey to finish up on three under par. That was after an opening round of 67 today, leaving him two shots off the lead. Waterford's Seamus Power is level par after today. Rory McIlroy's birthday yesterday as well, 33. May the 4th. I thought he was much older. What? He's the boy wonder. I was genuinely shocked. I thought he was... At least 38. Uh, would you uh, say that's no, ancient? 38. I thought ancient. he was up on your age, Nathan. Carefully. Yeah. I'm more than 38. <laughs> you yeah. redeemed yourself right at the end. No, but I was just surprised. Yeah, 33. He does act a lot older. feels like he's, he's been mature. around forever. He's very mature, 33-year-old. He's been a superstar since he's 14, 15, you know? He's been in our lives uh, a long time. Interesting. You know what we were just saying on the golf podcast earlier on? We have spent so much of the year saying you know, for the upcoming season, the upcoming season. It kind of just hit me today. We're in the teeth of it now. Three majors in the next 10 weeks. So somebody's going to catch form because not many of the top 10 have, Scotty Scheffler aside. John Ram did win a, not a super strong field at the weekend in Mexico in the PGA Tour, but really none of the top 10 have really fired. Like McElroy could kind of take some of that Sunday Masters vibe and get it going. You know, he can get very hot for a time. Three majors in 10 weeks, he might do something. There'll never be a more exciting time to subscribe to Golf Weekly on otbsports.com forward slash Golf Weekly is what Joe Malloy is just saying. Uh, this week's pod is up there now. Uh, one last story, and it's a really important one because Jack Chambers has been talking tonight about Bernard Dunn and the IABA. Yeah, he has criticised the IABA this evening, calling for focus to be placed upon athletes. This comes following the resignation of Bernard Dunn from his role as High Performance Director, a role he held since 2017. He's the third High Performance Director to walk away from the organisation since Billy Walsh left back in 2016. They have asked him to reconsider. And speaking to the last word on Today FM today, Minister Chambers said there is a danger here to the development of our boxers. Bernard is the third performance director to leave his post since 2016. And that causes huge disruption and uncertainty for uh, many of the boxers, our pathway boxers. We saw incredible performances in European Championships only in recent weeks, many medals. Um, and we, we need to have the focus on our athletes and on our grassroots and on our clubs. This constant internal squabbling is seriously undermining boxing and and uh, and the potential it delivers. Kelly Harrington and, and so many others that are, I think, you know, we've incredible potential for Paris. Uh, we've seen this across so many different Irish sports, Joe, where we expect the athletes and the coaches and everybody around athletes to act in a real professional manner, yet those running the sport are essentially still acting in an amateur manner. Mm, I know, it's, it's extraordinary the extent to which boxers are performing in spite of the IABA. Thank God the high performance unit was just set up and put in place by the right people. So the reason Jack Chambers was talking today and, and it will give you a sense of how seriously this has been taken at government level is that Sport Ireland announced the funding to take various organisations up to Paris 2024 Olympics. So for instance, rowing gets 4 million, athletics 3 million, hockey 3 million, swim Ireland 2.9 million, etc. And effectively they've withheld most of the money from the IABA until they get this thing sorted out. There's some kind of ongoing review compliance uh, project with Sport Ireland at the moment. So I don't know, someone needs to get in there and get a hold of it. We've done pieces on the IABA in the past. We'll probably have to do one in the next few days. I'm, I'm sorry to say, because what quickly emerges when you do these pieces is the 
web of alliances and politics and grudges and various um, complications knows no bounds. Like it's really hard to figure out what's going on in there, but obviously, needless to say, something very, very wrong. And uh, Sport Ireland want Bernard Dunn to continue. Mm. And I don't know what his thinking is. I don't suspect he's inclined to come out and talk too publicly about it at the moment. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it's probably not an exaggeration to say it's a mess behind the scenes. Yeah, a mess at a local level, a mess at an international level, amateur boxing. So as Joe said, we'll be coming back to that story over the next couple of days. Joe, thanks as always. Okay, guys, see you. Anne-Marie. Thank you. Enjoy the weekend.